Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. We are going to be in Luke chapter 8 today. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 22 through 25. Luke 8, 22 through 25. And if you are a note taker, you like putting titles on the top of your note pages, the title of today's message is called Calming the Storm. Calming the Storm. The storm. Give you guys a second to get there. Verse 22 says this. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as he sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Let's pray. Father, we want to come again and say thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you are a God who does calm storms. Calm the storms that are raging in us. I want to lift all of us up today that all of us at different seasons of our lives, maybe even now, go through different varying sizes of storms. Some of us maybe in here are going through a light storm. Maybe some of us are going through a Category 5 hurricane. And I pray for each and every one of us in here that we're reminded of the truth that you are the God with us in the storms. Open our hearts this morning, open our minds, let us not leave this place unchanged, God. In your name, amen. The story of Jesus calming the storm, if you've been in church for any length of time, is probably one you've heard iterated again and again and again. It's a pretty common story that we go through. In fact, how many of you were raised in Sunday school? Anybody go to Sunday school growing up? How many of you ever met Feltboard Jesus? Anybody know Feltboard Jesus, right? He had like, even this story is a very common one. There's a guy in the white robe there, and he's like this, and the waves just go like this, and it's all silent. But maybe you're new to church, and you maybe this is the first time you even heard this story. Some stories in the Bible can be kind of confusing, and the good news is this is not one of those. As far as stories go, it's pretty straightforward. There is Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat, they're going to the other side of the lake, and all of a sudden a windstorm pops up, and they get really freaked out. And Jesus wakes up from his nap, and he says, peace be still, and there's calm. Pretty straightforward story. But I think this story speaks to more than just a storm that spoke, uh, that, uh, 
whipped up on the Sea of Galilee one day. And I think this story speaks to more than just a story of a group of fishermen who got scared while they were in said storm. See, in this story, God is addressing the distorted realities that we often believe about God in the midst of our storms, when the storms rise up. We have a tendency to believe lies about God. Sometimes I think it's really easy for us to obey God, to trust God, to believe he's good when things are going well. Isn't it easy sometimes to follow God when the, you have enough money in the bank? It's like, God's good, right? That's awesome. It's easy to follow God and trust God when you make that decision to parent your children the way they should go and they're getting it. Things are going great. You feel like you're not disciplining them as much, or you don't have to, and things are going great. It's easy to trust God then. It's easy to trust God when things are going well at work. It's easy to trust God when uh, things are, everyone's healthy in your family. It's another thing to trust God and keep moving forward when it feels like everything's falling apart. It's another thing to keep moving forward when your family is racked with sickness. It's another thing to keep moving forward when there's no money in the bank and you're living paycheck to paycheck trying to see, is God going to provide for me this month? Sometimes it's hard to trust God in the midst of the storms. When it comes down to it, that's really what this story is about. Addressing the distorted realities we believe about God in the midst of our wind and our waves. Take a look back down at your text again. Verse 22. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they set out. See, the beginning of this story shows Jesus and his disciples getting into a boat. He doesn't tell us where they're going. He doesn't tell us what kind of what body of water they're on. But if you look down at verse 26, you see the beginning of the next story, which says they sailed to the land, the country of the Gerasenes. Now, that, and we know the Gerasenes, where they are, they butt up against the Sea of Galilee. So we know that they are traveling through the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I'll thank you for pulling that up. This is a topological map of where Jesus' and disciples are going. It's actually really cool when you get a bunch of Bible scholars in the room. Uh, they actually have mapped out where they think where Jesus' and his disciples were actually, the actual route they were taking. We don't know that for sure, but this is what we've gathered from some parallel passages. They started on the left there. Oh, thank you for pulling that out. Sweet. Uh, they, they, uh, they started from there, and they were going down to the land of the Gerasenes there. So we see that's kind of where their path is. And if you look back up to the previous passages, 21 and before, we see that Jesus and his disciples have been on a day of ministry. They've been sharing, uh, Jesus has been sharing uh, parables and teachings and telling people about the kingdom of God. And I'm sure, we're not told in the text, but I'm sure there might have even been some miracles in there. And we see what Jesus says is our task on this side of the lake is over. Let us go to the other side of the lake. What you see is the disciples obey. They hear Jesus' call on their lives. Jesus wants to go to the other side of the lake, so they pick up the anchor, they drop the sails, and they get moving. They don't know a storm's about to happen. They don't know that their life is about to flash in front of their eyes. They just know God's next step for them is to get in the boat and go. 
And I think a lot of times, we're the same. I think there's a lot of situations in our life where we feel that nudge from the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever felt the nudge from the Holy Spirit that says, go do this? We don't know the next step. We don't know what's going to happen 10 years down the line. We don't know what's going to happen 15 years down the line. We might feel that nudge to change careers, to parent our children in the way they should go, to start that ministry, to serve in that existing ministry, to reach out to that person who's been struggling. Just step into the Christian walk and walk with God. We don't know the storms that are coming up. We don't know when they're going to pop up. But we know when Jesus calls us to get into the boat and set sail. The story continues. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Anybody, when they travel, they fall asleep in the car? My wife loves to fall asleep in the car while we're driving. In fact, she gets, a lot, she gets really car sick really easy, so she drives most of the time. But when she doesn't get car sick, she likes to sleep in the passenger seat, right? He falls asleep. And then you see a giant change in the story. A windstorm comes down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. There's a sharp contrast. You have Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. Then all of a sudden, this giant storm pops up. I was actually, when I was reading the text this week, I was like, what in the world? Shouldn't the disciples have seen a storm coming? What's that old saying about, like, uh, red sun, red, red warrant, what was it? Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. I'm like, wouldn't that apply here? Why wouldn't the disciples know this is coming? But I actually found something really interesting out about the Sea of Galilee. Go to that next picture for me. So this is a picture of a Sea of Galilee uh, from a boat view. This is somebody's picture from their tour of Israel. This is the uh, Sea of Galilee. What's really interesting about the Sea of Galilee is that it sits about 700 feet below sea level. And as you can see, surrounding the Sea of Galilee, there are all of those mountains, See all those mountains? And they surround it. And so while the, the, the sea itself is about 700 feet below sea level, it's about, the peaks are about 2,000 feet above sea level. And what happens is when you have this uh, happen here, there's these winds, they shear off the cliffs into the water, and it creates sudden, very powerful windstorms that are often completely unexpected. You don't see them coming. And even people who are fishermen every single day, who do this every single day, when it comes to these windstorms, they can be very, very dangerous, and there's no warning oftentimes. That's the situation the disciples are finding themselves in. That's the situation. It was calm, and then also one of those freak windstorms pops up. and They are terrified. Take a look down at your next text there, verse 24. And they went to Jesus, because he's still sleeping, and he says, Master, Master, we are perishing. He says, we are about to die here. And it's not like these guys are brand new people. It's not like these are random guys that bought a pontoon boat in the middle of a midlife crisis, right? They have no idea what they're doing. They're professionals. They do this every single day. They're in their boats day in, day out. They are used to probably coming across storms like this if they've been on the Sea of Galilee before. So if they're freaked out, you should probably be freaked out. It'd be kind of like if you're traveling for Christmas and you're uh, going to go see some family and you're flying out west and uh, the pilot comes over the intercom and is like, yeah, we're not making it to Denver, right? You're probably going to freak out. But I think what's most interesting here to me about this text is notice how quickly 
Notice how quickly their perception of Jesus changed. You look at the past chapters of Luke that we've been going through for the past about 20 weeks now. The disciples have seen Jesus show up time and time and time again. They've heard his teachings. They've heard that he's the Messiah. They've seen miracle after miracle. They've seen people that were demonically possessed be set free. They've seen people on the brink of death come back. They've seen God's faithfulness time and time and time and time again in their own lives. Yet the moment they are touched by the waves of conflict, the waves of anxiety, they freak out. In fact, they miss that Jesus stated his intention at the beginning of the passage. Look back up at verse 22. He says, get, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side. He stated his intention. He didn't say, I'm feeling funny today. Let's get in the boat and see what happens. You know, like, he didn't say, we're, our destination is not the bottom of the lake. He says, we are getting in the boat. We're going to the other side. That's where we're going. And isn't it interesting how quickly we abandon the things that God calls us to? We abandon the tasks that God calls us to. Because the going gets tough. There's a lot of times in our lives where we would much rather retreat to safety rather than engage where God has us in the moment. How easy is it for us when we're walking the road that God has us on, that when we encounter difficulty, when we encounter heartbreak, when we encounter loss, when we encounter difficulty, that the first thing we often assume that's happening is that God has abandoned us or that we're no longer in his will. We assume smoothness means we're in God's will. We forget our trials, every single one of our trials, every single one of our hardships are in the hands of God. All of the wind, all of the waves, even our tumbling amidst the wind and the waves are in the hands of God. There's not a single trial in your life, there's not a single trial in my life that has not passed the desk of God first. This is what the disciples were thinking. Their first thoughts are, we are about to die. God has abandoned us. We need to wake him up so he can, he can make us safe here. What's interesting is, a lot of times in the midst of our trials, our distorted realities are revealed. In the midst of our trials, the lies that we believe about God, the lies we believe about his character, come to the surface. Like how many of you have ever gone through something, a difficult season, a, maybe a big thing that's been going on in your life, and you were really tempted to believe that maybe God doesn't love you as much as he thought? My hand's raised on that one. Or how many of you have gone through something tough and um, you were like, maybe God isn't listening to me? Or maybe God doesn't actually know what's best for me? See, the bottom line is we often miss the point of our trials. We get our eyes locked on the winds and the waves around us rather than our Savior. 
Because rather than distorting our view of God, the trials that are in our lives, their purpose is to help see who he actually is. The purpose is to see him clearer, not distorted. In fact, that's what James 1 is talking about. In James 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That made perfect and complete is Christ-likeness. And if you want Christ-likeness, you have to see Jesus for who he actually is. It's in these seasons, it's in these moments where our worlds are falling apart, when our security is ripped off like a blanket, that God is actually inviting us, beckoning us to come and see him for who he is. He invites us past our heartbreak. He invites us past the chaos of our lives, past our circumstances. He calls us into his presence through our pain. C.S. Lewis, a writer, theologian, once said, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us through our conscience. But he shouts in the midst of our pain that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's in the midst of these situations, in the midst of the winds and the waves, that he desires to remind us who he is. But so often in the midst of our trials, we get our eyes locked on the wind, get our eyes locked on the waves, and we miss what he's trying to say. We get caught up in doubt rather than stepping forward in faith. We let our storms define our God rather than our God define our storms. That's what happened to the disciples. Master, we're perishing. Why have you left us? I thought you loved us. Verse continues in verse 24. Jesus awoke. He rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. In one of the parallel passages that tell the story another way, I can't remember if it's in Matthew or in Mark, it says Jesus awoke, he stood, he looked at the wind, he looked at the wave, and he said, peace, be still. And I picture on that scene of these disciples, like it was flailing everywhere, cupping water like this, and Peter going overboard, right? All that stuff. Waves start to calm, and as quickly as those storms on Galilee rise up, it was calm. Peace. And the disciples fight their unbelief, fight their questioning of God's character, got to see Jesus for who he really was to see Jesus for who he really was, that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the anxiety, God never lost control. He was in control the whole time. Verse 25. 
turns to them. He turns away from the sea. He turns to them, and he says, where is your faith? They were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? He turns to his disciples, and he says, where is your faith here? Where is your faith? Is it in this boat, this rickety old thing? Is it in the laws of nature? Is, it, is your faith in uh, your ability, your own reason? Is your faith in uh, your view or your uh, ability to uh, conquer the waves here? Is your faith, where is it at? Is it in me? Where is your faith? And in the midst of our hard seasons, in the midst of our heartbreaks, in the midst of our trials, he extends the same question out to us. Where is your faith? Is it in your ability to provide for yourself? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your 401k? Is it in your uh, political system? Is it in how you were raised? Is it in your hobbies? Where is your faith? At the end of the day, when all else is gone, where do you place your faith? The disciples placed their faith in all the wrong places. They placed it in their intelligence or their ability and experience as fishermen. They didn't place it in Christ to help them navigate the storm of life. Maybe right now, maybe you feel like your world's falling apart a little bit. Maybe you feel you really relate with the disciples that are just bailing water with their hands. Maybe you feel like your world's falling apart a little bit. I want to be really clear and upfront that the moral of this story is not when you, the storms of life come up that if you cry out to God, all your problems are just suddenly going to go away and the chaos is going to stop and the heartbreak is going to stop. I have had seasons in my life where that's happened, where I've gone through depression or anxiety or doubt or any of those things, and I'm so deep in a lost spot. I say, Jesus, I need you to help me right now. And that peace comes. But we're not promised that. We're not promised that the struggle is going to stop right away. We're not promised that the hardship is going to go away right away. In fact, Ecclesiastes says the day of darkness, days of darkness will be many. We're going to have trials. We're going to have feelings of loss and heartbreak. They're going to last longer than we would like. Moral of this story is that when the storms of life come up, that you put your faith in the right person, not in your own ability not in your 401k or your strengths or your preferred political party. Your faith is in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself up for you. That's a rock that's never going to waver. Virgin once said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Learn to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages because he will never waver. I wanted to close this morning with some practical application because I think it's one thing to be up here and say, trust Jesus, go have fun. It's really easy when, that, when you pray and your, your depression stops, right? It's easy then. 
What about the times where it doesn't? What about the time you say amen and the darkness is still there? What do you do then? I want to talk about some practical application of what do we do when the days of darkness are present? How do we navigate the storms of life? And I think this text really brings two very practical things out. First is call a season a season. And I'm going to explain that. So my favorite day of the week is Wednesdays. Now, Wednesdays is not my day off. Wednesday is one of the days I work. But Wednesdays, I get up really early, and I head out to Mezzo Coffee House in Otsego. Anybody know where Mezzo is at? Any, a few people? Yes, it's my favorite coffee shop ever. I love the place. And I go there really early on Wednesdays. I try to get there around, if I'm feeling really ambitious, like 6.30. Usually it's 8. Uh, but I try to get there early. And uh, when I, I get there, I start out my time, I pull out my journal, and I start, uh, I, I've always uh, prayed through journaling. That's just the way that God has communicated with me a lot of the time, I pray through my journaling. And uh, I spend about an hour in journaling and, and, and reading the scriptures, and I just talk about, uh, write about what's going on in life and pray through those things. And then after that, I start my day. I start working on the message for that Sunday, or I work on small group materials. There's really no end of work. I start in. And I'm usually there until about 1 or 2 o'clock, depending on the day. And when I leave there, I uh, take a drive down to uh, Plainwell, which on the other side, and I go to Dean's Ice Cream. Anywhere Dean's Ice Cream is at, it's a heavenly place. You've got to stop there sometime. Um, but I don't get ice cream when I go. I get out, and there's a trail. There's a bridge. You go across the river, and you go down into the, like, the suburban parts of Plainwell. And I go for about a three-mile round-trip walk. And on that walk, put my headphones in, and I pray. And that walk has become a sanctuary for me. On that walk, I pray about what's going on in life, pray for the stuff going on here. If any of you have reached out to me for prayer, I probably have prayed for you on that walk. And a couple weeks ago, I was on that walk, and it was just one of those days where everything felt really heavy. You ever have those days where you're praying and it's like, it's just the struggles don't stop, right? And you just keep praying about these struggles that are going on. And it was like that with everything. There was some stuff I was working through and I was praying about these burdens that I'm unloading. Praying through stuff at church. There was a bunch of requests from people that I was just unloading. And it was just one of those days where I could be totally honest, I was not emotionally okay. But I, I had this thing that I was uh, working through in that moment where I was like, I have to be strong here. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be really tough and all of that. And um, God sees right through that. He sees right through that. And in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit was reaching in and saying, you know it's okay to not be okay, right? <laughs> you know it's okay to not be okay, right? See, it wasn't wrong that the disciples were concerned or struggling when they saw the waves. That wasn't the problem. It's okay to struggle when you see the waves. The problem was they were placing their faith in everything except Christ. Church, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Truth is, we as the church, not just here, but everywhere. We typically do a really bad job at that. We don't like to admit we're not okay. 
fact, we come in a lot of the times with these plastic smiles on our face, and we make it look like everything's okay because everyone around us is doing the same thing. We make it seem like we're all good. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe we're afraid of being judged if we're not okay. But I think one of the biggest reasons is we put these plastic faces on that we're actually okay, because if we can convince other people we're okay, maybe we'll start believing it too a little bit. It's okay to not be okay. It's important to call a season a season. As I was on that walk, the Holy Spirit was saying, Davis, call this what it is. You're going through some stuff. It's all right to not be okay. It's okay. And I'll tell you right now, there's some things in my life where I'm just not okay. Not okay. And it's important to be able to admit that. One, it's important to be able to admit that to God, that you're not okay. He sees through it anyway. You're only lying to yourself. But it's important for each other. One of the important things about the scriptures is that we're not supposed to be just a bunch of people that come in once a week and sit down and just hang out and sing a few songs and listen to some weirdo speak. We're supposed to bear burdens. We're supposed to confront. To be here for each other. Jesus says, by this they will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And the first step to be able to fulfill that, admitting we're not okay. So we can receive that. We can give that. There's that one uh, 12-step programs use it a lot. First step to overcoming a problem is admitting you have one. Call the season a season. It's okay to not be okay. But there's a follow-up to that. Call the Savior a Savior. It's good to admit you're in a season. You have to accept it. You have to. Otherwise, you'll never get through it. But you can't stay there. The problem is, if we stay there and we just say we're in a season and we don't do anything about it, you're going to become paralyzed by your own fear. You're going to become tempted by the enemy to believe wrong things about God. You have the temptation to become bitter. You're in the season important what Savior you turn to. That's why Paul in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart, guard your mind, Christ Jesus, when the storms of life come up, it's vital who we turn to. Because here's the thing. In the storms of life, you do turn to someone. You do turn to a Savior. For some of us, that Savior is avoiding the problem. How many of you, how many of you are avoiders? I'm an avoider. When you get your spouse get in an argument, how many just shut down and not want to talk about it? I'm a shutdown person. I, I will shut right down. That's still a Savior. That's... Avoiding the problem. 
Maybe your savior is the bottom of a bottle. Maybe your savior is relationships. Maybe it's hobbies. Maybe your savior is burying yourself in your work. We all turn to saviors. It's vital in these seasons, just as the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, that they turned to Christ. The same is true for us. In the midst of our heartbreak, in the midst of our loss and our trials, turn. Scripture says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. In this text, he's saying, let go. I got this. I got this. I'm transforming you through this. I got this. Something I've found about God as I've walked with him is he never calls you somewhere where he's not going to lead you through it. Never. Never in a million years. If he calls you to something, he's going to lead you through that. will lead. What he wants us to do in the midst of that is instead of getting our eyes locked on the wind, locked on the waves as they have our eyes fixed on him, he's going to carry us through. He's got this. So his application, call the season a season. It's a season. Call the Savior a Savior. We keep walking together. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.